Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams. I'm Emily Oregon. We're missing Joe Redfern today, but we are excited about uh, a guest that we're speaking to. Can you intro Andy? So, Mikhail Lee, um, your innovation and story lead at Lego. Could you just kind of give us a little bit of an introduction and explain what exactly that involves? Yeah, well, as a story lead in uh, in Lego, as the title uh, uh, sort of suggests, that I work in the um, innovation area of Lego, where we create some of the the new uh, concepts that are coming out, and um, and I particularly look at uh, the story part, uh, meaning that both in terms of how to facilitate the play that we're trying to get across, but also around how we can make new experiences around the the concepts that we make. What drew you to kind of become involved in Lego in the first place was what was your kind of background before there? What kind of really kind of brought you to Lego? Yeah, no, it's. Um, I'll try to make it, this a uh, very long story about my career short. But uh, yeah, I'm a. I come from uh, animation. My background is in animation. I've had a been part of uh, running an animation animation studio, and we were lucky to get uh, partners uh, such as BBC and uh, Nickelodeon and Jetix and a lot of European and Asian uh, broadcasters that we were producing animation for, and. After that, I, uh, I, I left and became part of uh, kids broadcasting, and which was where I basically learned the hard way uh, how important uh, play is. Um, as, you, as you can imagine, um, somebody who is educated in animation, I thought I had... Uh, I thought I had really good taste, you know, I was edu- I was educated in this field, I knew what g- good animation was, I often found myself in the story room, so I really thought I knew, you know, what kids want in storytelling and especially in animation, and then suddenly when I was at the broadcaster, I realized that basically I was just about to kill the two most popular uh, series that they were airing because I didn't fancy them. And I very quickly had to learn um, why they those two uh, projects were popular. And it turned out that it was play. They were playable. And that's why after the I left the broadcaster, uh, I was really interested in companies, especially Lego, who uh, re- excel in s- storytelling uh, that has that sort of fuels play. And so I was very lucky and fortunate to get a, a job that did that works with exp- uh, precisely those areas and yeah that's fascinating because I think the, the key thing for me is that you know and I say this to clients sometimes it's if you are making a kid's show in my view you should want them to want to play with the with the product because it's kind of like the most purest expression of a kid's fandom um so like I, it's, it's interesting to hear your journey to be like what's great animation versus what is great for kids animation I mean is there is there anything specific about play that you kind of bring into that or is it kind of a broad it's a, just a broad awareness um I'd love to to hear more about like that journey that you went on yeah I mean obviously when I started that journey I did not know much about play I wasn't really aware of it you know what I was aware of was the you know 
the craft of animation, the crafting of storytelling, the crafting of narrative structure, character arcs and character journeys and wants and needs and all those sorts of very, very important things. Don't get me wrong. I really think those are important uh, elements. But I was just noticing that there were some projects, some concepts that were really not delivering on those at all, but they were delivering on something else. And I couldn't spot it until um, we got in a lot of data and we got a lot of insights. And it was quite clear that the projects that were, the series that were making it really good ratings and getting a good following, they were playable. And I don't, and don't get me wrong, I don't mean that they were toys necessarily. I, I, I don't mean that they were characters with four different colors and there were vehicles all over the place and it's not like that it was more that you could actually after watching the show you could actually do it you could perform what those characters were doing and you were felt inspired to do so to go out in your backyard and play with with rocks maybe and um but of course it would be more fun if you had the product in your hand that was designed for it yeah, I love that distinction actually between toy and play. Can you do you do you mind us putting you on the spot to like cho- choose your favorites or give us a few examples of you know it doesn't have to be from that time, but like shows that you feel really embody that quite well. Well, I think our own show Ninjago um, uh, really uh, does a really good job of making that a mastery journey of becoming or being a ninja and applying those skills and unlock, especially trying to unlock that in, in the becoming the best ninja that you can be. So there are some mastery play going on there. There is some, um, of course, through some action and, and action play as well, but it's also a very mindful journey of trying to become the best person that you, you can be. And I think that sort of, uh, play loop, uh, the way that the Ninjago team executes that is really, really strong and, and has been for quite some years. That's a great example of how you're kind of activating something that that they can do something with as part of that story, whether it's kind of mastery or kind of really taking that play, taking that play out of the story. How do you kind of balance the what you need to do to encourage play and interaction with the toys along with storytelling and characters and and those more sort of traditional elements of um, storytelling yeah so i what i do when we have a project like that obviously um most of the time we would start we would have smart people uh we have a we have a couple of great departments that are collecting insights and conducting research and testing for us like we have global insights shout out to them and then we also in my department creative play lab have a really strong research team and so what they help us define is sort of um certain needs and and uh, and wants from a specific audience that has been um, and then based on those things you sort of get like hunches of okay if this is the need then we think that this play type could actually fulfill it and let's test it out and then we start experimenting with with that and 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 when you sort of then have to go into a, if you have to go into something that relates to a story, like if you don't have in Lego, we don't always have to do that. But if if you feel that hey, this story can really help uh, drive this, then I what I do is um, I look at something that I call the inner logic, and I can explain what I mean by that. But 
if you look at uh, I don't know if you look at Dracula, right? The inner logic of Dracula would be sort of all the things we connect with vampirism. You know, he he sucks blood. He can turn into a bat. He doesn't like garlic. Uh, he can't see himself in the mirror, and that would be the inner logic of that concept. Without that, it would be a pretty boring story, you know, about a Romanian count who is looking for an apartment in London and falls in love with the real estate agent's fiance, right? That would be, without vampirism, that story is pretty, without that inner logic, that story is pretty, I don't know, uh, generic. <laughs> and um, It's like something and, you want to you wanna plug into, like, uh, like, a, like an AI chatbot to see what they're going to produce yeah. a script. Yeah. <laughs> so... But the inner logic here really makes it or breaks this concept. And if you can make that inner logic playable, like by injecting, by using play types to get that inner logic going, I mean, I'm not suggesting in Dracula that you call that a play, playable inner logic. I wouldn't suggest that you we go around biting each other. But I bet you we probably all have had those fake teeth in our in our mouth at one point and you know, uh, now to come to think of it. But but that if if you can make the inner logic of your the concept playable and you can test that out and you suddenly go have a good test and it's like oh yeah the kids really understand this and they really get it then you start to go like okay what characters would be the best ones to perform this playable inner logic what world would then be would they be living in what locations would we need in order to do that and in the and of course what tools and objects and icons would help facilitate all of this and then in the end at the end of that you go okay now what story can we then tell what should be the needs that that the characters have that really help push through this play loop um yeah and that, so that's the way uh, i go about it Amazing. So you start with the play pattern and then you build the story from there. Ideally, yes. That would, that's the, and it really, if you try to do it backwards, it's really, really hard to try to inject play in something that is already established and is, that is not where they didn't think about it. And um, yeah, so if you really want to make, uh, if you have ambitions of making a franchise, it's really, uh, I would really recommend thinking about um the the actions that the characters or the yeah are that are happening in your concept and because it can really create this engaging loop and it's not only for products such as toys it also is something that can be replicated in all kinds of other experiences around your project um but but i would also say that if it doesn't have to be from this uh, franchise perspective i also think of it as you know i'm a I'm a creator and I want to communicate with a kid audience and kids, certain kids in a certain age, you know, they really, really enjoy playing. It's really on top of their mind that what can I play next and what they're really looking for it. They're spending hours on YouTube getting inspired from other kids who are playing. And, and uh, so it's about this. Uh, I really think as a creator who is interested in this audience, I do think that play is a really good area to to look at and uh, be inspired from it's I, I find it interesting to hear you be so strongly play first you know that, that that's how you that's how you see it because I remember reading an article a few years ago about Lego and, and something that kind of resonated with me about the article was like the fact that Lego 
maintained their relevance in a really strong way because they actually led into they they really lent into story and like that and like doing things like the Star Wars Lego, doing things like you know particularly maybe particularly the Star Wars Lego that was maybe one of the iconic things that they did is they really lent into those stories and that's what made them really relevant with kids. Um, so it's interesting to hear you flip it the other way because um, that kind of that kind of resonated with me to go yeah actually that's something Lego has done really well is that they, they they were they didn't lose their minds about their product or the way they play they actually just really lent into the stories that, that could be told with it so yeah it's just interesting to hear you flip it the other way now and maybe that's a full journey that the company's kind of gone on a little bit yeah you know I mean, definitely play and kids are at the heart of uh, everything that we do so and also, I work in a, in a department that's called Play Discovery. So, uh, and uh, so it's very much uh, on top of my mind uh, always. And yeah, I love talking about it, and and I love experimenting with it. And uh, it's really, really exciting to see. You know, also on personal projects, how can I put it in? You know, in a picture book format, or uh, uh, or just sometimes, sometimes you don't get to make an entire story universe. Sometimes your project is only communicated uh, on a box front or in the building instructions. So you have to sort of uh, be sure that you can communicate it at, at those levels as well. That's interesting. So do you kind of think quite long and hard about all of the different touch points in which the story is being communicated? So it's so it's completely so coherent at all of those points. Yeah. So, I mean, what's important to understand about my job is that I don't get don't always get to execute, you know, the content itself. I sit in the in the early development of the concept. But of course, what I love to do is consider uh, if we can if we can find out. It's not always we know what the primary platforms will be um, at, at this early stage, but we might have an idea or an insight that uh, this this type of concept would be fit very well on certain platforms. And then, of course, we try to, what I love is when we can integrate them really so they, 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 they really fit uh, into the narrative that we're, that we're making. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one example was uh, Hidden Side, where we really integrated uh, augmented reality within the concept of that. It was a ghost concept. So the, the augmented reality was literally the ghosts uh, because they have... Yeah, they have that uh, nature that that comes with uh, augmented reality. They had that fabric um, uh, where you they're a little bit transparent. Then are are they there? Are they really, uh, or are they not? So it kind of fitted really well with with that. And I think an example like that is is good to to sort of see how can we really incorporate these different elements into the, the narrative if we know that's where we're going. What strikes me with Lego is that uh, often with a kid's brand, you talk about something being 360 and it will mean that it's on TV, that it's um, it has, maybe there's a game version of it or it's kind of quite multimedia. But with Lego, it feels like that could be, the, the story could be reflected, as you say, in the building instructions, in the front of the box, in store, um, that there's so many different points at which that story can be expressed. And is that something that you really try and kind of make consistent across all of those different areas? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is where, you know, if you really nail the playable inner logic, if you know what your what your play types are in specific, like down to the detail of them, because when you talk about play types, they're often, you know, uh, generic, uh, 
but you can really once you start to get to know your concept really really well you know you know precisely how this is going to be played and so the verbs kind of change get more precise and that really helps you to communicate it on the box front in retail in any kind of in any kind of communication also if you have events or if you also in your choice of partners you kind of get a feeling of oh wait if this is what we're trying to do this would be a really really good partner um yeah so absolutely um when i heard sorry i've heard you say a few times play types and play patterns and i'd love to know i feel like there's probably thought that goes in to, behind those two distinct terms i'd love to hear kind of your description of them and you know ways people yeah, think, think about them yeah, I think I don't have a PhD in play, but uh, I think um, what I usually, I usually, I mean, play types are generic terms for a description of uh, a, and a joyful action that a kid voluntarily uh, does. And a play loop is when you have several play types that are connected and they sort of make sense that they're connected. Um, it's similar to uh, how I think people who make games or when we make games that we, we try to nail a game mechanic. Like, I think some of the words there are, are quite similar. And um, so, uh, yeah. And so th those are... Then we also have something that you can call play styles, which is, um, you know, if some play is snackable, some play is more process-driven, some play is outdoor, some, like, those are different those types of styles will influence uh, what you can do with it. So they're, they're, they are also important to, uh, to sort of um, to consider. And do you, can you give us an example of a specific product where that's an example of one that has more of a process um, play type or um, that Lego does in terms of kind of which of those products align with those different kind of. Play yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, uh, Lego Classic, of course, is I would call is a very great um, is a great example of process play, uh, but also Lego Dots is also has a great great process uh, behind it where you're sort of experimenting with patterns and and can get really deep and thoughtful uh, mindful uh, experience out of that, um, and then if you if you want to go on the more role play side, you, we also have Lego Dreams uh, that launched uh, this year, where where I would say that the um, where we're trying, where we're experimenting with um, like how modularity can give you a Lego process, where you're trying opening up to that Lego is a system and you can change the model as you please, and and that's really embedded into the core and the in the inner logic of that story uh, that how kids are using dream crafting their imagination to be able to craft different things in the dream world that they're in. And yeah, so I, the dream, the inner logic, the playable inner logic really uh, shines through there, I would say. But yeah, of course, creativity in general uh, is something that is associated with the entire uh, portfolio, I would say, because you are, um, of course, you know, when you're buying a Lego uh, set, you are, constructing it in uh from all the different pieces so and in the end of it you feel this uh yeah uh, joy of building and, and pride of creation absolutely have you seen any examples of how that kind of that building approach can inspires uh, storytelling itself or you know that how, how the, that kind of nets out 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for for some of the for some of the projects, and I mean, that's the whole purpose of it, right? You are we're trying to not. I mean, the, we're not trying to make kids mimic the story that they're seeing. We're trying or experiencing. We're trying to get their imagination inspired, like and and so that once they get in front of the the Lego bricks, they their own imagination will kick in. I mean, and and create their own. And that's what I think is great about working for a company like Lego that this system really allows uh, kids to sort of build their own world or or uh, uh, built their own version of, of a known world like Star Wars or Harry Potter and so on, like really go into it themselves and m- make their imagination part of it. And are there examples of where you've been kind of directly inspired by seeing the way a kid will kind of use Lego and that's informed kind of a different approach to uh, to storytelling from for your team, or do you do you do kind of a, a lot of kind of observation of the way kids kind of will use the product and and make um makes stories with Lego? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we do a lot of testing, uh, and so kids influence our work uh, all the way. Um, and obviously, sometimes, as you said, sometimes the tests are observational. Sometimes they're bigger uh, in-home tests, and sometimes there are like pilot launches, uh, mini launches, and um, or beta launches. And uh, and this, yeah, those, all of those tools in the toolbox are really, I mean, it's mind-boggling uh, how it can change and inform uh, what you're doing, and obviously. I mean, it can change, kids' input can change everything, like it, down to the core in a logic, like they can really, uh, they can, the way that they phrase things and the, or the way that they do things, and you go like, oh my God, I did not consider uh, that, that this was the way that they played this certain play type, whatever it is. Uh, I did not, I did not see it that way. And, um, and that can really, uh, can really change it. I mean, one example I can just on hidden side was that uh, one kid uh, he was uh, playing uh, that uh, these ghosts that we were putting in front of him were processing the other people, and we had not ta- we had not talked about that, and uh, that I would say informed uh, the concept quite a lot, um, and that because that became sort of the purpose. Uh, of why we need to sort of get rid of these ghosts because they're they're possessing everybody in in Newbury. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's so funny that they they came in. Yeah, the kids can always throw you a curveball like that. I mean, how much how much are in are that that you, you spoke very fondly about your research teams at the start of the interview, and I I totally agree with you. It's like having teams of smart people you can turn to to answer questions is is, is one of the wonderful benefits of working in corporate. But um. You know, our insights, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody last week, our insights at the core of everything you do or like how much is there space for that, those kind of um, also that kind of storytelling, that authentic kind of character world, you know, what's the balance there? I mean, do you mean in terms of if it's uh, ever how creator driven it is versus how insights driven? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. insights is something that everyone's speaking about so much in the industry these days. And we've got people like Moonbug, you know, saying that it's really at the core of every decision that they're making. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear how it how it nets in and what you do. Yeah, I think um, 
I mean, everybody at Lego are creative uh, and in some way. And uh, so, of course, everybody brings their expertise and knowledge. And it's important for everyone to listen to that. And I often call the story team, we have to be the sponge. Like we have to be the one who listen and we, we have to grab the nuggets that are being brought up in the development and make a holistic presentation of it. Like we're the ones who present the holistic view of all the gold. And then this also comes from kids. The kids also bring the nuggets in. But it, it is sort of like you have to collect each and everyone's nuggets. But I would say that what I like about the insights-driven process and and the observational process is that it, it keeps you objective. And I think that's important, especially when we're – it's such a highly collaborative effort. And uh, it's really – I think it's difficult to make it a creator-driven uh, concept. And we have to be objective also because – uh, we have we are presenting to our leadership, and that object- objectiveness has to shine through. Also, when it's not working, like you have to, uh, especially when it's not working, you have to be uh, to to uh, be transparent about that. And and when when do you when do you know that it's not working? Um, at what point yeah. is that kind of established? Yeah. It's quite because it's quite sometimes yeah. that's quite a subjective yeah. um, decision. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good question, and we talk a lot about that at Lego uh, because um, it's easy to get um, it's easy to get trapped up in um, oh my god we put toys in front of kids and they loved it right I mean they will love it there here's <laughs> yeah. an here's an adult who is really interested in something that you also like and there's so much of it in the room and they get super excited and but luckily but luckily so it's sort of like you have to distinguish between they liked it 97% and ni- or 98 and what does that one point mean like is that and that could be the end of the world for the project like that one right. point and you have to be able to understand what's in that point and of course that's why we have good moderators and good people who can analyze and and so on and um and of course we also scale up the tests so that we get uh and try to do quant uh, so that we can get get that. And it's not we don't get it right all the time, but um, we definitely uh, or get everything right. <laughs> but uh, we definitely do do our best to um, to get some as much joy out there and yeah, and playful experiences. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on. We we talk a lot on the podcast about um, new technology and its impact on on kids media and just wonder whether there's anything you can talk about in terms of Lego's adaptation to new technology or kind of the way that it's operating in the digital landscape and how it balances commitment to physical play with that kind of digital technology. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's an interesting area. It's not something I think I can talk too much about and, but it's also what I can talk about, I think is like the, it's the balancing act, right? It, the, these di- some of these digital experiences come with um, uh, some privacy concerns that we uh, Lego and I've heard our, our our leadership talk very seriously about that and take that very seriously. And I know that they're working hard on on trying to um, to solve that, and so that kids can play safely digitally as well. Yeah, that's a key. That's a key thing, and it makes it tricky. 
um, for sure. But although we know we know kids are there, right? We know they're playing there, and and you kind of need to respect that too. I always feel like if if they're if they're choosing where they play, then you know we need to find a way to make it work. Um, what like what what kind of trends in storytelling and product development and innovation are you seeing? What are you excited about for the future for Lego or just more generally for the industry? Well, personally, what I'm seeing. Uh, what I think is interesting is, you know, the it feels like things are merging, like uh, products, uh, experiences, uh, uh, customer co-creation, all of those things are merging. And I think that is, I have no idea how it will influence Lego yet, <laughs> but um, I think it's a really an exciting time to be in Lego's innovation department and and try to come up with uh, ideas uh, around this. The innovation side of your department, um, what are kind of examples of stuff that you can talk about in terms of um, of kind of what you're working with, or or maybe examples of uh, innovations that your department has pushed forwards that are already out in the market. Well, I know that our our team has worked on um, a lot on um, on the the Mario concept and um, and how that all like the partnership with uh, Nintendo and the color censoring and uh, uh, getting a new play type for Lego out there, which was sort of like a level play or platform play, and try to make that physical uh, was really a great journey that. I think that people here in Creative Play Lab are, did a tremendous job on 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 uh, getting out there. Uh, it was a really really big moment, and also be, from my point of view, looking at the play was like introducing a whole new play type to the portfolio. And I think, yeah, from how I look at it, that's a big deal. That's that's hard to to do and to get to communicate to to get across and and yeah and to make work like it works on digital platform but how can you make it work uh, on the physical and i don't really i don't think that has been done before like that transition from digital to physical play i should be careful what i say but i just thought it was impressive really impressive by that team interesting and you you mentioned there about a, a partnership with a brand that exists outside of the lego universe and that's something that lego does a lot of how um how do you kind of you approach that? How does that? How do you balance kind of working with a partner that has their own kind of IP outside of Lego, but making it feel like it it kind of fits within the Lego universe? Yeah, no, I can. I mean, I'm not part of picking the IPs, but what I, what I do when if something comes by my desk is, of course, I analyze it and I um, I uh, we uh, recently we had a. Uh, some workshops with the Star Wars, which are currently, which are, you know, always looking at how can we make new play here. And so basically what I do is that I use this uh, formula or this framework that I have where we look at what is the player and logic in these concepts? What can we pull out that the the audience, uh, the kids will expect that, that they can actually play here? And how do we then translate that? So the tool... The framework, the um, which I call a IP play puzzle, probably a horrible name, but it's the sort of the framework we use to both create uh, playable concepts, but also how we can also reverse it and say use it to look at and break down 
IPs and find out, oh, wait, this is actually playable. This is actually, and, and, and this is something we can, can, um, can make work for, for us. Um, and then, of course, then the, the lens is also, yes, but is it Lego? Like, is it valuable? Is it, is it, does it, does it help the, does it, does the Lego system, does the bricks themselves, do they support it? Or is it something another toy company could also do? Interested. I, I saw a talk with somebody from Lego a long time ago, but they said something about the partnerships they felt worked were where in some ways the property was didn't look like Lego. So, for instance, Harry Potter live action. There's something just kind of charming in imagining what does Harry Potter look like as a Lego uh, as a Lego toy, and they said they'd done a partnership, I think, with Dora the Explorer, which they felt didn't work quite as well because because in some ways they felt like Dora the Explorer already looked a bit like a Lego toy so that there wasn't that kind of, you weren't bringing it into the Lego universe and kind of transforming it. Um, but that's kind of fascinating to look at uh, those existing properties and kind of work out how does how do you draw out the play patterns from Star Wars or Harry Potter or uh, any of those big kind of IPs? Obviously, uh, Lego has a rich history and tradition, and it's how do you balance protecting that tradition while also doing all this innovation? You know, because Lego's been around for so many years, it's you know, it's it's got that recognizable feel. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Well, we are always working on how to be true to the core as we call it like how to be true to to the bricks and the system and the creativity and the fun and the imagination i think that is and uh, there is there is just a great focus on that and it is the lens that we um evaluate everything that we do around us um and if we don't it will be called out very quickly and i think the the teams themselves are pretty good at going oh wait this doesn't feel uh, Lego, uh, and, um, so we very quickly, yeah, uh, the, the, some of the first questions are always, yeah, but how does, how can we make, how does bricks fit in? How do Lego bricks figure in, figure into this? And how does construction play? How does that experience fit into this? And, and what value is that bringing or, um, how much of the play comes after the building is also, um, something that you, we have to look at and, and is there any play after the building or is it a, more like a display set and so on? There are lots of different, I, I do think it's it's just something that everybody are mindful of and we're trying to stay true to. It's sort of, yeah, if you, it's not as hard uh, when you see bricks every day, everywhere you go, uh, you're constantly reminded uh, uh, what it is that we're doing, even though we're doing great leaps with technology um, it's still it's still very very brick focused, and and on the kind of that uh, tension between the tradition and the kind of innovation, are there are there kind of new areas that you've kind of ended up creating new categories for Lego? You talked about mindfulness before. Is it become more of a? Do you are you involved in terms of kind of the slightly older end of Lego in terms of the way it's. Um, it's kind of being developed. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that there on that side, I think uh, the the Lego agency has done great work in trying to communicate how mindful and how yeah how 
great this process of building uh, uh, can can be for for a different audience, like uh, as just uh, as, as adults are um, a new audience, not completely new, but at least uh, the focus of it is has increased, especially here during COVID and after COVID. Uh, I think that that is a whole new dimension to um, to the portfolio. And they're doing phenomenal work there. Absolutely. I am that. I am. I am part of that demo. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mikhail, for this conversation. It's been great. Really good. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for, for having me on. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more great content. Uh, you can find us on all of the major podcast platforms. So hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode. <laughs>